0: Foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone He pounding on three one two three three
1: welcome back to another episode of the roar brought to you by Blue Wire to help me preview this week's opponents the San Francisco 49ers I am joined by my good friend Vish uh, you can find him on Twitter at Vish Kumaran that's V-I-S-H K-U-M-A-R-A-N uh, he hosts the Vish Kamaran show on YouTube, and you can find that on his Twitter page. Vish, what's up, man?
2: What's up, Billy? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's really um, an honor. We've DM'd back and forth on Twitter quite a bit talking about football, but we've never actually gotten on a podcast and talked football, so I'm excited to be able to do that with you today.
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's funny, a couple, last time we played, uh, it was in 2019, um, right. (laughs) Carolina came to San Francisco that week and, uh, KP Kyle Posey, our good friend, mutual friend, him and I, I joined his podcast and, uh, and he said, if you ever let need anything, let me know. Um, but unfortunately he had something come up. So I'm glad I was able to, you and I were able to get this done last minute here. So really appreciate it. But, um, Yeah, this 49ers team, I mean, ever since that 2019 season, uh, they have set up a roster where it's very talented top to bottom. Uh, Even, uh, unfortunately, they had the one COVID year where just the quarterback injuries kind of threw things off. But uh, besides that, you still have a very strong foundation of talent on both sides of the ball. What are the expectations coming? What were the expectations coming into the year? Uh, Because you were acclimating a rookie QB. uh, But then, unfortunately, for Trey Lance, once he got injured uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo stepped in, where do you feel like realistic expectations should be for this 49ers team in 2022?
2: I do think the expectations are the Super Bowl, right? The last two years that Jimmy Garoppolo has had healthy seasons where he's able to start, you know, 15 games or whatever the number is for to consider where he's able to start enough games in a season where he can really, really um have an impact and, you know, have a good season, which is 2019 and 2021. The Niners have made the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. Now, that's not directly correlated with Garoppolo's play, But the results on the field when he's played are that. And I think that that's where the expectations are going to be. When you take the talent of the roster, when you look at how good the defense is and then how good the coaches, I do think that's where the expectation should be. Now, my personal expectations, while Garoppolo is under center is not really that. I just feel like there's ultimately a ceiling to where Garoppolo's play can lead you. Um, I would be pleasantly surprised if they won the Super Bowl this year. I do think they have a team capable of doing it, but the question marks at quarterback make me think that this team is ceiling to go so far. But winning the Super Bowl might not be part of that uh, possibility with Garoppolo.
1: Yeah. And I, there's always multiple like conundrums with Jimmy G. And I'm, I know you probably feel the same way. I'm sort of like in the middle, like, like he's not a bum like what you're seeing in you know, other bad quarterback play around the league, right? Uh, but he, like, he, he can execute the offense. He knows where to place the ball, but there's obviously, like you said, a ceiling to his game and you're going to see, unfortunately for 49ers fans, the games where Jimmy really does struggle. Uh, I mean, you saw it in, in Denver. You saw it in that fourth quarter against the Rams. Uh, so to me, like he's perfectly fine and acceptable as a, uh, starting quarterback. Um, but I, I think you saw why they traded up uh, to get a quarterback you know, a couple of years ago and, and that I shouldn't take anything away from that. And so when I was watching the game on Monday night, a lot of it just seemed like the Jimmy Garoppolo offense, where you're asking him to um, you know, throw screens or just look over the middle of the field, those intermediate crossing routes, you're not necessarily asking him to bomb you know, 40 yards down the field and I mean the offense looked proficient. It looked really good. You get the hand on your the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Uh, that's a recipe for success for this 49ers team.
2: Right. Um, absolutely. I mean, they have a rhythm. They clearly know how to win, and they know how they're gonna play, and they know like philosophically what their identity is to win with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's one of the most underrated things in all of this. <clears throat> We saw it a little bit. We haven't really been able to see it because, unfortunately, Trey Lance got hurt. But in the couple starts that he had last year and the couple starts he had this year, which, I mean, was half a quarter versus Seattle and then in a monsoon versus Chicago. Can't really evaluate him. But I think one thing that you could evaluate is that that team was still learning Trey Lance. Kyle Shanahan was still learning Trey Lance, learning how to call a game to best utilize Trey Lance. It's not that He doesn't have a really, really good plan, but there's also the going through the game experience with Trey Lance to know what each other is comfortable with. All of those things, because of Garoppolo's vast starting experience and the fact that he's been on the team, do not exist. The team knows how they need to play to win with Garoppolo. They know how they win with Garoppolo, and Shanahan knows how to call a game for Garoppolo. And I think all of those three things came together together perfectly on monday night they played an opponent they're very comfortable with they played an opponent they match up very well with they played an opponent they know how to beat and they executed and played how they play with garoppolo at quarterback and how they've won games honestly with shanahan as their head coach over the last three years
1: i think one thing a lot of people in the punditry business um they like to make a big deal of west coast teams traveling to the east coast Uh, What has your experience been like with Shanahan's experience, at least uh, when they do travel to the East coast for games, um, especially because they're coming off a Monday night game. It's a short week. Uh, I mean, the game does start at four o'clock, you know, which is 1 PM Western. So it's not too much of a burden as if it was like, you know, a 10 AM local start.
2: Yeah. So honestly, um, I think that, it's first of all, I think West Coast te- teams traveling to the East Coast is a real thing, especially when there's the ten o'clock slot, not not the one that you mentioned, right? The ten o'clock Pacific start, the one Eastern start, that's the one that really really gets them. Um, this one I don't think is as bad, but in general, I would say my experience with Shanahan teams is they were horrible at it in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. In 2019, they got that lucky break, which they've gotten now over the last couple years, where they get their two East Coast games back-to-back. So they were able to stay at Youngstown, Ohio, after their week one win against Tampa Bay. And then they had a great week, played great versus Cincinnati. The next year, the COVID year, they had a similar thing. They had week two and week three at MetLife Stadium, week two versus the Jets, week three versus the Giants. They were able to stay I think they stayed in Virginia, I want to say. I I don't remember exactly, but they won both of those games. They played great versus the Jets after losing a terrible uh, week one home opener versus Arizona in the COVID year, where Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins ate them up. They played terrific. Then Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert, a bunch of people got hurt. Nick Mullins played one of the best games. A Niners quarterback has played under Shanahan, funnily enough, that week three game against the Giants. And so the Niners have actually been very good at traveling to the East Coast um, over the last couple years. I would say they had a big win against Cincinnati last year in the East Coast, similar start time. You know, that's the only reason why I brought it up. It's that same one o'clock window. So they've been much improved at doing that under Shanahan. They weren't very good at it when Shanahan first started. Shanahan himself has admitted that it took some time to get used to because at first he didn't want to leave a day early. Because Friday's the one day players and coaches get to see their family and he didn't want players and coaches to not get that day. Then he changed it up where they would leave early and he felt like it got better. But then, of course, they had a couple of unlucky situations. For example, in 2018, the entire Reuben Foster situation occurred when they were in Tampa Bay. So that was one of their East Coast games. They laid an egg, but obviously the team was not emotionally ready to play after cutting Reuben Foster, you know, 2020. It was like 10 hours before game time. Um, so because of all of that, I would one hundred percent say that uh they are now much improved at traveling to the East Coast. And I do expect the 49ers to be ready to play, and I don't think that would be an issue on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I, I would expect that too. I I mean, there's a lot of um, you know, modern medicine and technology that helps. I mean, a few years ago. You know, when the Warriors were always playing the Cavaliers in the finals, I remember they someone wrote a story on ESPN about the kind of treatment like LeBron was getting like on the back of plane so he can get like, you know, um, you know, his massages and whatever. And I'm I'm sure that's is I don't know. Obviously, NFL teams might be different because it's a bigger plane, but I, I still feel like uh, they try to provide as much amenities as possible so they don't have to feel the burden of it. But um, But yeah, just something to keep in mind. Uh, going back to the 49ers, uh, their offensive line has suffered a lot of injuries recently. Um, Trent Williams is obviously going to miss a couple more weeks, I believe. And then Colton McKivitt, McKivitt who was supposed to replace him, uh, he got injured on Monday. It looked like he had, did a, had a pretty good game against Aaron Donald and company, uh, too. So for you, like, what what do you expect from this offensive line? Like, What is like, the realistic kind of expectations now that there are so many injuries?
2: Um, I think it's a little bit tough to say because the guy stepping in for Colton McKivitz who showed that he was serviceable for sure, like you mentioned is Jalen Moore. And the last, you know, 30 snaps or so we've seen of Jalen Moore have been a whirlwind. You know, he stepped in originally when Trent Williams got hurt against Denver and Sunday night and he looked really out of place he looked like the moment where he wasn't ready for it. Um, The pressure of stepping in Sunday night in Denver, you know, on the road, hostile environment against Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory was not his moment, but he played very steady in another pressure situation, you know, stepping in in the middle of a division game when the backup left tackle already, who's already a backup, gets hurt and he played pretty well. I think this offensive line... I think a fair expectation is for them to be good in the run game. Um, I, I think a lot of that has to do with synchronization, timing, scheme, um, execution of calls. And I think in those areas, Shanahan does a really, really good job. I mean, we talk a lot about offensive line play in general, right? How big they are, how well they block, how well they move. But something I think that's very underrated is the quality of the block, the play caller creates for the offensive lineman. And one of the most underrated things about Shanahan, in my opinion, is his ability to create good leverage and great angles for his offensive line to block. He does a really, really good job doing that. And that allows his offensive linemen to be able to execute certain blocks. So, like, for example, there's always clips people post of Dan Brunskill blocking Aaron Donald, especially when the Niners, you know, have this seven game regular season win streak against Aaron Donald. A lot of these plays, he's not straight up just taking Aaron Donald one-on-one. It's not mano e mano The guy just lines up in front of him, and, you know, they're going to go back and forth. It's, you know, Aaron Donald is two-gapping, and Brunskill is, you know, pulled, um being able to seal off one side. It's stuff like that. So it, it, there's way more nuance to it, and I think that's why I expect them to be good in the run game because I think Shanahan will continue to do that. He's the run game master, the way he uses motion, the way he's able to be variable with the snap count, the way he's able to create angles and the way he's able to utilize the sideline. All of these things come into play with that. I think the pass game is where there's going to be a little bit of a question mark. But then again, I don't expect the Niners to be in a lot of true, horrible drop back pass situations. I expect them to stay ahead of down and distance have a lot of third and manageable third and short. I don't expect them to put that offensive line in a situation where, you know, it's third and 12 and you're going to line up in a three by one and have Jimmy G read the concept side out and come to the backside and, you know, like throw a dig or something like that. Whatever the in-breaking route on the backside is away from the concept. And the offensive line has to be in pass protection for two, three seconds. And Grappler is really going to go through progression. I don't think, (laughs) one, that's not really their game in general let alone if they had Trent Williams and everybody healthy. So I definitely wouldn't expect that to be their game either without them.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you brought up the point about creating leverage and angles. And I think that's uh, very pertinent to the Carolina offense because um, unfortunately for them, it's, it's very, very difficult for them to create easy yardage and for the offensive line, which is improved. Um, to create those natural angles in the run game, um, so you're seeing unfortunately McCaffrey have having to elude uh, like multiple defenders as soon as he receives the ball, and he's doing a pretty good job of it, but it's uh it's very hard to come by with easy yards for their offense. so I, I think the schematics uh, of what shanahan implements, um uh, you know it it certainly doesn't go unnoticed, and it's just a very Um, you know, efficient offense that he's able to create. And and so switching to that uh, before we kind of wrap up here on offensive side of the ball, uh, you know, George Kittle, uh, he's, you know, an elite tight end in my view. And unfortunately for him, it seems like the production just hasn't been there for whatever reason. And it's not like he's not getting open. What what are your thoughts on kind of the discrepancy between, you know, his level of play and some of the production that maybe he's not being targeted or he's not running uh, routes that, you know, he's a decoy in some instances. What are your thoughts on that?
2: So I think this conversation is a little bit overrated, honestly. I think it's a little bit too premature to have this conversation, and I'm going to tell you why. The only quibble I've ever had with Shanahan in regards to targets to George Kittle is that they weren't targeting him inside the end zone. I think I used to have the stat. I charted it a while ago, but I don't have it anymore. Um, But he was targeted a very low number of times between 2017 and 2020 in the end zone. Well, I brought that up this offseason, posted the stat, and I'm not saying I had anything to do it, but voila, last year, George Kittle, you know, had a career year in terms of scoring touchdowns and he was targeted inside the end zone. He had the most catches inside of the end zone for his touchdowns in his career. And I think he doubled actually his targets inside the end zone as well. I say all of this to bring up the fact that Kittle produced in 2019. He produced in 2020. He also produced last year. He had nearly a thousand yards without playing every game of the season. He had a very, very good season, and it kind of tailed off at the end of the season. And then the playoffs were really quiet for Kittle. But I think there were two plays in the playoffs that are just kind of indicative of the lack of sync that there's been there with Kittle, right? The first play was first play against the game, of the game against Green Bay. Niners get quarters coverage. Shanahan has a great call. He's got Kittle running up the seam. Garoppolo puts it on him. Kittle drops it, Right. If he catches that ball, that's an 80-yard touchdown. Now the production, when we go back last five games, George Kittle has played is different. Then I go back the very next game after that NFC championship game versus the Rams. Same thing. Quarters coverage Kittle up the seam very, very early in the game. It would have been, I think the first third down of the game, that was the call. Same look, same everything, same play. This time Garoppolo doesn't hit Kittle. It's a horrible throw again. Another play that would have been an 80 yard touchdown. You're scheming it up. You get George Kittle wide open. It's a great play. And so when you miss out on those and then you play in two games that are very, very defensive driven, your coach is really, really trying to just control the game down for down. Um, then you talk about the fact that Kittle is no longer the number one option in this offense. It's Debo Samuel. I think the last three years, Shanahan has made a clear and concerted effort when Debo Samuel plays that Debo Samuel should see the ball 10 to 12 times. And they they built this offense around getting him the ball. You add that all together with the emergence of Ayuk and then the offensive line issues. Kittle has been hurt. Garoppolo wasn't at camp. They were installing an offense similar to what they had with Garoppolo for Lance, but they were installing everything with the read principle, right? Putting the quarterback in the pistol and having a decision for the quarterback with that zone read look in every single play where the quarterback gets to pick, whether, you know, you run an RPO, you throw it to the bubble, you run a conventional outside zone from that, you run inside zone from there, you run a true zone read, you run counter bash play, you got hurt. You can run all these kinds of plays, but the Niners were, building their offense where they run all these concepts out of the read principle with that read principle, similar to how Washington installed that philosophy all those years ago in 2012. So I think you consider all of those variables. Yes. He's had a slow start to the season. Yes. He doesn't get targeted as much as some of the number other marquee tight ends, but this is not a pass first offense. He is the number two option in this offense. And then the start of this season, he's been hurt. He's just come back from injury. The Niners have had other injuries. They've had a quarterback change. They've also had to pivot on the fly. I think it's way too early to be concerned about Kittle's production. I think that I would expect him to start having some bigger weeks slowly as we go on. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina's a week with Jeremy Chin out if he plays very, very well.
1: Yeah, it's going to be... I mean, David Njoku had a pretty decent game week one. uh, But besides that, they've kind of had uh, good production uh, against tight ends. I mean, Ertz did catch a touchdown, but for the most part, he really wasn't uh, the issue. Uh, Hollywood Brown was the guy who really kind of uh, gave Carolina trouble, and a lot of that was due to matchup. For some reason, they weren't putting their best corner on him, uh, and he got some uh, pretty good opportunities. And, uh, yeah, as we wrap this up here, and one thing I really – I mean this is kind of a microcosm of some Twitter discussions. I saw a picture posted the other day of um a blitz package that Carolina likes to bring, which is they bring JC Horn on a blitz and drop Brian Burns into like right in the middle area, which is like a zone blitz. It's pretty mm-hmm. common around the NFL. And against Kyler Murray, it worked. It works because Murray is short and you Probably can't read over the middle Garoppolo of the field. Too. And, and that's what I'm trying to say. And I know oh, a lot of people make a uh, they've have all these compilations of Garoppolo throwing interceptions against one robber. And he loves the middle of the intermediate middle part of the field. And so I expect Carolina to do the same thing where they're not going to necessarily like, you know, have burns rushing every snap. Um, you're going to see some disguises where they try to get their uh, edge rusher right to clog the middle of the field to make him throw outside the numbers. So uh, in your estimation, like, have you seen any type of difference in Garoppolo being able to dissect like the one robber or inversely, how has he done throwing outside the numbers?
2: No. And I mean, for some of the plays that they run, one robber is just a really, really good coverage because the safety rotation is late and the clear out route is a post usually. And, you know, you run some kind of combination with, the, I mean, you have a bunch, the point guy runs a post. The guy to the right side of the bunch runs some sort of in-breaking dig, drag, something over the middle of the field. And then you have some sort of flat route from, you know, what's usually the tight end, the inside most guy, number three in the bunch, something like that. I'm just giving a random example of concepts that you see every single Sunday in the NFL. But, um, so I think that because of that, it's a little hard. It's not just like, Oh, he just doesn't see it. He doesn't see the safety rotation. Sometimes, like he sees it, but like he thinks he can fit the ball or there's space and really he can't. So I think it's a combination of a variety of things. I did want to bring up Burns because you brought him up. I do think this is a game Burns can play very, very well. I mean, you look at the Niners two tackles. Mike McGlinchey is a very, very good player in the run game. He's a terrific athlete. He can reach a lot of people on the second level because of the speed um he's a very very good blocker on the move as well um and he's pretty good in the past game except for the fact that he can lose confidence and get into his head sometimes especially in critical moments in games but I think Burns is a player that will give him a lot of trouble obviously Jalen Moore I, I haven't seen enough but I from what I've seen everything can give him trouble at times so I, I but I think Burns can give McGuinchy trouble because um one McGlinchey can get beat for speed we saw that in college if I take us all the way back to what Davin Bellamy did to Mike McGlinchey where at times he can get caught reaching out and lose his base and Davin Bellamy for Georgia had a big forced fumble against Mike McGlinchey I remember that I don't know why that just came into my head but similarly he Burns has the ability to get him around the edge but I think what makes burns a little bit special and maybe a little bit underrated is his speed to power element and just the power element when you start to respect his speed which everybody does he does have an ability to get into a tackle's chest full rush and drive him back and do those kinds of things and that's where I think Mike McGlinchey, when he's starting to set up for speed which he will against Brian burns can be a little bit vulnerable because he's a high cut guy right he's 292 95 pounds but He's not a guy like with like Trent Williams, where he just naturally has massive legs and massive hips. And he's just a big you know, guy. He's a guy that works for that way. I wouldn't be shocked if McGonchee one of those guys that's 220, 225, you know, three months out of the NFL just because of how he holds weight. And he's a really high cut guy. So because of that, I do think that, you know, from a schematic standpoint, like those coverages, yes, they will give the 49ers trouble. And those are coverages we see every week. And I do think Phil Snow, because he has that college background, and he's a little more, he can be a little creative. I'm excited to see what type of fronts he uses to stop this run game, and I think all of that will be an element. But from an individual standpoint, I do think this is a game that Brian Burns. If Carolina, if I think Carolina is going to win this game, reason number one would be well, Brian Burns had three sacks, two forced fumbles, and wrecked the game.
1: Yeah, I mean it's the NFL; weird things happen. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it past Carolina too. Uh, put up a pretty strong fight here. Again, they're at home. San Francisco's traveling. We'll, we'll see how much uh, of that plays into it. I mean, 49ers lost the bears week one. So it's right. Right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, they were seven I point did.
1: favorites. So, um but anyway, let, let's shift to the defense because this has been the story of like the Kyle Shanahan kind of era here. It's been how strong, uh, their defense has been and started with Robert Sala for a couple of years. And then when he got the head coaching job, D'Amico Rines, uh, he stepped in and they haven't really lost a beat. And so this year, though, it seems like the I mean, we always knew like a lot of people on the outside knew that this team had great players on the defensive side with um Armstead and Fred Warner and Bosa and went out and signed Charverius Ward, who's been very good. Uh, Mosley's always been solid. Uh, Same thing with Jimmy Ward. So personnel wise, they've always had some really talented players. But uh, to me, the schematic innovation has taken this unit to another level. Can you speak on kind of where like the coaching and schematic uh, areas that have really innovated this defense
2: yeah yeah so i a hundred percent agree with you right and in its roots right in its simplest form this defense comes from the seattle defense right robert Sullivan when he first started in 2017 they played that seattle eight-man front with the sam linebacker over the tight end that used to be bruce Irvin. they played with you know the speed rush end that used to be cliff Avril, and then they played with You know, you know, which is basically kind of like it's a nose tackle, which they used to they had a couple of different guys play it. And then they had the three technique, which and the big end, which Michael Bennett was the big end. And then Red Bryant was the three technique for a little bit. And they had a couple of different guys that played there. And then, of course, they had, you know, the they had that entire setup and they played that Seattle three deep zone. And then Niners defense is still rooted there and they will still play Seattle three. But then the evolution of this defense started right in 2019. They changed the front. They went to a wide nine. And so they stick the rush end way out there. And that's usually Nick Bosa. He's usually the nine technique. So they're looking to get up the field. So now they go to a more conventional 4-3 front where, you know, you have a conventional stand linebacker. So you play with three off the ball linebackers. And so the front changed a little bit, but the gap responsibilities and all of that is pretty similar still in the front. It's still very much a 4-3. The coverage is what's interesting, right? They became a big quarters team in 2019 and 2020. They still play a lot of quarters. They still play at Seattle three. But what's really interesting is they're able to now disguise a lot and they'll play a lot of, you know, two safety cut. They'll show a lot of two safety shells pre-snap and they'll rotate out of it. The addition of Mooney Ward has allowed them to play more man coverage, which is something that they haven't been able to do as much on big downs in the past, which I think is a huge addition. And then Richard Sherman tweeted about this, I think in week two, when he talked about how, you know, the best defenses and he was referring to Buffalo, but it applies to San Francisco well as well as when you have a scheme that you know so well, and you know how teams are going to attack that scheme and you can get pressure with four and just, Be very disciplined, communicate, understand what type of concepts are attacking your scheme, because that's another advantage for the Niners defense. By the way, I wanted to throw that in. A lot of offenses have to attack the Niners defense with similar concepts. So they're attacked in a similar way every single week, which is one of the reasons they feel so prepared for anything and everything, the way they route distribute, the way they communicate, the way they pass people off in zones, the way they jump past concepts, like all of those things are really, really phenomenal. And it's because they know the scheme so well. They're so well-coordinated. They have so many veteran players who've been within this team. And then they're able to get pressure with four. But then being able to do that, and then I talked about it, right, the transitioning, they play quarters, they play three deep, they'll play man, they'll do all these different things, has also allowed D'Amico Ryans to unlock maybe the nastiest sim pressure fire zone package in the NFL, right? Every third down, they'll put... They'll go with a little double mug look. Sometimes they'll bring the double mug and they'll go zero coverage. A lot of times they'll drop out of it. They'll mess with your protection plans. They'll, you know, bring two, they'll blitz the nickel. They'll blitz Jimmy Ward and then bring out two from the other side. He does some nasty things and he really makes quarterbacks hesitate. And then, of course, having two guys in Fred Warner and Jimmy Ward that are able to match up in man coverage with receivers, backs, tight ends, really makes a difference because they're able to disguise man versus zone with those two players very, very well. And Ward hasn't even played. He might play this week. We don't know. But yeah, so from a schematic standpoint, it really starts off so simple with the Niners defense. But that simplicity and being able to rush four and get pressure with four and drop seven and be so disciplined playing zone coverage allows them to have so much variety.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. And the other thing I want to touch on is the – uh, the addition of Traverius Ward. Do you feel like that's allowed D'Amico to diversify his coverages?
2: Yeah, it, it it has. It has, right? Because, I mean, if you see what the defense, when they figured it out at the end of last year, they were able to get healthy. Obviously it didn't, it helped to have, you know, two starting caliber corners and not be starting Josh Norman and Drake Kirkpatrick and whatever was available on the street at the time. But Emmanuel Mosley is very much an off-ball corner. He likes playing off the ball and he'll he's very good in quarters. He's pretty good in man. He's a very good zone player. But he 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 doesn't, he's not an in-phase player. He'll play out of phase, and that's why he likes playing off coverage. But he can also play in phase really well as well. Don't get me wrong. Ward has changed things because Ward's game is press coverage, and playing fully in phase. It's tight press coverage. That's what he did in Kansas City. And I think having a player who can press and who can challenge the best receivers in the NFL at the line of scrimmage has allowed D'Amico Ryans to be a little more creative. They're able to go to man coverage in more high leverage situations because they cover you know, really well across the board between Mosley, Ward, Warner, of course, then the safeties as well. So It's definitely helped and it's allowed them also to, at times, you know, play like quarters and then play, but play like a lock where you just put Ward in press man on one side and then you play like an umbrella quarters away from Ward. It's not very common. This is what, you know, this Brandon Staley did this in 2020 against DK Metcalf when Jalen Ramsey used to just own DK Metcalf, they would just play quarters away. And then they would just lock up D.K. Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey on the single side. Usually D.K. Metcalf was lined up as the X and he would, you know, line up as the single receiver in three by one formation. So I random tangent. But the point is that they are able to do things like that at times now with Mooney Ward because he can press and challenge the best receivers in the NFL.
1: And it's going to be interesting to see what he does this week, because last week, it, you know, the Rams were very shorthanded uh, at, the, at the skill position and uh, they could just double Cooper cup or just throw attention his way, not necessarily double, but um, you're asking the other guys in that offense to make a play and uh, they right. weren't able and to, and you know,
2: they can't protect either. The ball has to come out right away.
1: Yeah. And, and so Carolina for, you know, as much as their offensive line has improved, uh, I do think it's better than the Rams, but Iquano is still a rookie. Uh, Moten is still, you know, pretty solid tackle, but the other guys, uh, there's some questions at center. Uh, so to, so to me, I, I think Carolina's offensive line will put up better resistance than what the Rams showed. Uh, but how do you expect them to, you know, kind of uh, attack you know, some of the receiver matchups in this game? Because it, it seems like. Uh, DJ Moore, you know, he he has been struggling to get the ball, but he does do a pretty good job of getting open, uh, especially in that short and intermediate area. And, I mean, if you give him the ball, like, uh, what room to go, he, he can really just make things happen after the catch.
2: Yeah, so I think Carolina's weapons are very good. Uh, I'm a big DJ Moore fan, I think, in another uniform. maybe Not actually in another uniform, because I think – Carolina can do a lot of good things with him. I think their offense has a lot of good pieces and talent. I just think they need a different guy running their offense. I was watching some of it today, actually, to get prepared for the podcast. <laughs> and to be honest with you, Billy, that offense is going to get eaten up by this 49ers defense. Oh, I expect. In a it. lot of. In a lot of ways, it, it's not even the talent, right? Like, I don't think their offensive line is really that bad. Moten's a good player, and Iquano, if you're a Panthers fan, you should be happy through four weeks. Um, Baker Mayfield has obviously had his struggles, but, I mean, from what I saw, and I'm not going to say that I'm an expert on the Panthers or that i watched a lot, I don't know if you can put this all really on Baker Mayfield. He definitely has to take his blame. He's had his fair share of issues. But, like, McCaffrey, like, is a good player, obviously. DJ Moore is a terrific player. This offense, it, it just feels it, – it. I don't understand it. I really don't. Like, I don't understand what the point of some of the things they do offensively is, and I just feel like with how prepared the Niners' defense is on the week-in and a week-out basis for some of the more creative offenses in the league and some of the more diverse offenses in the league, I don't – I think it's going to be a tough game for Carolina. No, or I maybe they agree. they shock the world and they play great. I don't know. I could be wrong, but if I just look at the schematics, I don't think there's any creativity really to this Carolina. No, there,
1: there's there's none, and and this is kind of comes back to my point. Like I don't, I really don't think like I mean there were some reports and rumors about Jimmy Garoppolo coming to Carolina, but even if you put him in this offense, it would still look like it does now. And I'm not, I'm not trying to start a Garoppolo versus Baker Mayfield yeah. I'm just giving you the whole. The, the the truth because it's um the surrounding talent has certainly improved and but the issue is yeah yeah the schematics and it's a point that we've been making on this pod since you know the first week of the season uh, and it's, it's unfortunate uh, that uh, the level of talent has improved but the schematics of it has um Taking a step down is
2: actually great. See, I wouldn't be surprised even with Baker Mayfield at quarterback if Carolina gets, you know, a coach like, let's say they hire Shane Steik and somebody who's very good at tailoring an offense to the quarterback. I, with these weapons, I think Carolina could have a very good offense, even with Baker Mayfield, because Baker Mayfield gets a lot of crap, but I know the things Baker Mayfield does very well. He has a very strong arm, he's a very consistent and accurate thrower. And if he sees the field clearly, he doesn't hesitate and he will let the ball rip. But to get him to see it clearly is difficult. We saw Kevin Stefanski, a very good offensive play caller, have issues with it. And then now, like, it's very difficult for him to see the field because this offense is just a mess. Um... Yeah, I I don't know how I I was watching it, and yeah, that was I, it's it's like hard because I don't want to come in here because like I'm a Niners fan or whatever, and be like, well, oh, the Carolina offense, like I'm not trying to be that guy, but I just look at the schematics, I look at how the Niners defense has been playing. I I don't understand really with Carolina, um, I, and I'm positive actually on Carolina long term. I think I like a lot of their players, but.
1: Yeah, it's it's it just it is what it is. When you've um y- your choices at the offensive coordinator in the offseason were um limited because you brought back a head coach who's only won five games uh, in each season. So that's uh sort Do of Do you know limited if there was a
2: ball. reason why Rule didn't call the offense himself?
1: Oh uh, well I don't think he's an offensive like play caller, um, to okay. begin with. I'm sure he has his preferences and ideas, but he... Uh, he likes to take a step back and be more of a CEO, um, take that approach, which is fine. I'm not going to quibble over that. That's.
2: Do you think you know, it has something to do with the fact that you can fire the play caller if the offense doesn't work and blame it on you? Well, yeah,
1: I mean, that that's certainly the case. And uh, I, I don't want to make it
2: um,
1: known that Joe Brady was like this perfect offensive coordinator because he wasn't. He needed more. He needs more experience uh, working as a position coach in the NFL before he kind of takes that step uh, to be an offensive coordinator. But a lot of his play designs uh, and schematics were very encouraging and progressive. Um, But unfortunately rule had issues uh, with it and they just could never kind of see eye to eye. And and that's fine. That's normal. I mean, coaches, and um, they have philosophical differences. It's uh, it's whatever. But um, when you make that type of move, you have to also realize that, Uh, there's not going to be someone else walking through that door who's going to be a, an improvement in the, in the sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm with you on Brady, to be honest. I, 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 was, I thought he was a little bit overrated even when he was at LSU because of who his players were and because that offense didn't have a lot of variety, but it was a very, very sound scheme. And then the players were so good. They took that scheme to the next level And I thought even in Carolina, his first year with Teddy B, you could see that the scheme at least is good. It makes sense. Like the scheme itself, like it's rooted in what New Orleans does. So the pass game, the core concepts, all of it are like good plays that you can run against a lot of different looks in the NFL. And that doesn't I, I would take that. I'm with you. I would take that even with his the growing pains he had to go through in terms of learning how to adjust a little bit more, learning how to adjust and cater to his personnel maybe a little bit better too, and you know learning to adapt his offense. But I would rather have him at his age, I guess, go through those growing pains than be stuck where yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to sound negative. Again, I'm actually pretty high on Carolina's future. I like a lot of their young players. I think it's one of the most underrated young cores when you talk about between Burns, um, DJ Moore, JC Horn. I still, I still like CJ Henderson. I don't know what's going to happen with his career, but say I'm still someone that believes in him just because of how talented he was at Florida. So I, I, I like Carolina. I just, yeah, I just wanted to, because I don't get to talk about the Panthers much. I wanted to mention that (laughs) because I was watching them earlier. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, they they definitely have talent. It's, it's just, you know, how far can that talent really take you at at this point? Because
2: oh, Chin too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he's 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 certainly a solid player. Um, you know, it in, in some ways it kind of reminds me of two thousand ten, where in Carolina had a lot of you know promising players like Thomas Davis and George Williams, Steve Smith, D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart. Um, so they had a really talented player, our team. Uh, they just won two games because the quarterback and the offense in general wasn't good. And then the next year, Cam Newton comes and uh, they set like a historic rookie record for passing yards. Um, and yeah, so yeah, it, it, and that's probably what it's gonna have to take. You're talking
2: this. about Dom's last season, right? But the two years before, they were pretty good, right? Didn't they go 12 and four in 2008? D'Angelo Williams, yeah, yeah, the well, touchdowns.
1: Yeah, so DeLome actually left in 2010.
2: Yes, he went to Cleveland, and that was the yeah. Jimmy Clausen year. Derek Anderson, yeah. Jimmy Clausen, right? Yeah,
1: Derek Anderson was actually the starter, um, but he – not not Derek Anderson, Matt Moore.
2: Matt Moore, yes. Yeah, Derek yeah. Anderson backed up camp. Excuse yeah, yeah. me. And actually, yeah.
1: that, that year, one of their wins came against the 49ers. Um,
2: yes, I, I remember that. In fact, uh, Carolina and San Francisco have a pretty – Ugly history of like horrible to watch games, right? Like, do you remember the game in twenty thirteen?
3: Yeah, One of the most that was a
2: disgusting crazy game. football games I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, yeah. The final score is ten to nothing. I remember that. Yeah. Was, uh,
2: even yeah. even the playoff game in twenty thirteen was an absolute struggle. Uh,
1: yeah, it it was. I mean, you guys, uh, the Forty Nine ers had a terrific defense, so I can't really take anything away from that. Right.
2: Carolina's defense was really good too that year.
1: Yeah. It, that was, and honestly, I've told people this. I think that 2013 Carolina team was better than their 2015
2: team. You um, just think Cam elevated the 15 team so much that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of got washed out in the discussion because in 2013, their offensive line was still pretty good. Uh, relative, they still had Jordan Gross. Yeah. They still had Gross. Steve Smith was still, you know, a valuable, like, wide receiver. Uh, and I, I just think their defense, uh, the sustainability of it was much better because they had a bunch of guys in their secondary that were kind of no names like Antoine Quezon and Drayton Florence, uh, hmm. but their front seven was very good, just like the 49ers. And if you remember that game, um, you know, Anquan Bowling kept on gagging fights with like Mike Mitchell and a bunch of other.
2: Yeah, um, I do. I do. I do.
1: Carolina like players in the secondary and, uh, yeah, it, it got kind of heated, but yeah, it's, it's been, you know, they used to be members of the same division, the, the old NFC West.
2: Um, right. With Atlanta and new Orleans and San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think the Rams were also in it. So, right. Yeah. But yeah, there's always you know history behind it, but uh yeah. Let me kinda...
2: ask you this real quick question before we go, because I've always wanted to ask somebody who does anything with the Panthers, this, how good would have Cam Newton been? If instead of surrounding him with Kelvin Benjamin, Funches, Jericho Cotri, Philly Brown, he had the, you know, between 04 and 06, Steve Smith, Moose, and Muhammad duo as his receiving duo.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly better, but I think a lot of people forget that he had a really good tight end in Greg Olson. Yes, he did. And he did. I think he was probably um, a much better receiving threat for him because Cam really liked to target the seems the intermediate part of the field because defenses were um you know they tried to get play eight in a box cover three this is when the defense was everything and because of the rushing threat that newton provided um they really like to kind of uh, play middle fields closed um so it kind of gave him a lot of opportunities to target greg olson and he came became like his most valuable uh
2: You're absolutely right. right. For all the crap Cam got about his throwing, he used to throw in-breaking routes over the middle of the field late really, really well. He he had unbelievable ball placement. He'd be able to get the ball low and away a lot of times and stuff. And then he threw the ball over the seam with timing exceptionally well with great velocity.
1: Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately for him, you know, the injury is kind of really – uh really kind of took away a lot of the momentum that he was getting from you know the talent being elevated around the team uh so i mean it is what it is it's it was certainly you know those like 2011 to 2017 those six or seven years were uh probably the best stretch of carolina panthers football um ever probably so <laughs>
2: uh
1: still a young franchise it's not a Classic 49ers. Um, I
2: mean, yeah, but when you're as old as the 49ers, I can't say that, you know, I've experienced the best stretch of football (laughs) with the 49ers. In fact, the best stretch of football with the 49ers happened five years, ended pretty much as I was born in 1999,
1: so. There you go, everyone. You have vicious age if you want to really look into.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of math for some people. Uh, That's why I said that.
1: Yeah, but. Hey Vish, before we do sign off, is there like a particular matchup that kind of really intrigues you about this game and that you could potentially think that this could be a difference if it goes one way or the other?
2: Yeah, uh, it's really just Moten and Iquan versus Nick Bosa. Nick yeah. Bosa is leading the NFL in quarterback pressures, quarterback hits, and sacks at the moment. I think that the Going back to that 2019 game, for example, that was the best game of Nick Bosa's rookie season. He had three sacks and then that ridiculous pick where he went full on Julius Peppers um, with the guy cutting him on the screen, shedding the cut and jumping up and timing that perfectly and picking off the screen. Then he's the Niners best player to be able to beat the Niners. You have to have a plan to not let Nick Bosa ruin the game for you. Yeah. And so I, as generic of an answer as it is, I think that's where the game is going to be won and lost, especially because you don't know if Eric Armstead's going to play. You don't know if Kinlaw is going to play this Niners defensive line, which is, you know, big strong point is depth is a little bit compromised. If you have a good plan and you have a way to, you know, not let Nick Bosa wreck the game for you. As good as the Niners defense is across the board, you have a fighting chance against it for sure.
1: Well, Vish, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, Can't thank you enough for the preview and the insight you provided. Uh, Is there anything you want to plug before we sign off?
2: Uh, I don't really have anything to plug. You did that for me at the beginning, Billy, but I really appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed our last, I think, 40 minutes or so of conversation. I always love talking ball with you. Um, continue to kill it and, uh, make sure whoever isn't subscribed to your podcast or however they need to view your podcast and subscribe to you and follow you they should do that because you're (laughs) one of the best guys out there at this
1: i appreciate that thank you for the kind words and uh everyone really give vish a follow on twitter um not only does he do a great job covering the 49ers but he does a a really good job with the entire nfl as a whole so um, that'll be it for tonight we will see you guys next time